Support for The Andrew Haynes Show is brought to you by LiveSource, the premier app for auctions at live events. LiveSource is an online auction and raffle platform that allows your fans and supporters to bid and buy from their phones and computers from anywhere. LiveSource cannot be simpler or more effective, which is why more than 300 professional and collegiate sports teams and thousands of charities and athletes utilize their services to generate revenue and collect data. If you sign up with LiveSource now, you will benefit from their lowest possible pricing and they'll waive their upfront fees. You can email them at hello at livesourceapp.com. That's hello, H-E-L-L-O, at livesourceapp.com. Hello and welcome back to The Andrew Haynes Show. Today's episode, we sat down with Tyler Parsons, the general manager of the Lansing Lugnuts, the Class A advanced affiliate of the Oakland Athletics. Tyler began his sports career working for various colleges around the country and found his way into the Coastal Plain League for a few seasons between 2012 and 2014. His first role in professional sports was with the Johnson City Cardinals, and in 2017, he stepped into his current role with the Lugnuts, where he has been leading the organization ever since. Here's his story. We hope you enjoy. All right, back for another show. Um, it seems like I've had a lot of baseball people lately, and I've got another one. And maybe it's just because I was most recently involved in baseball, so now I need to uh, – I want to learn more. So I've got the general manager of the Lansing Lug Nuts, which is a cool name and logo, by the way, uh, <laughs> Tyler Parsons. How's it going, Tyler? It's going good, Andrew, man. I appreciate you having me on and any chance we could talk a little bit of baseball, but more importantly, the business side of some things. I, I'm all about it. Yeah, no, it's fun. And I, I just, I love seeing kind of the journey that people, you know, take uh, to get to their careers. My, my career path was, was totally unique where I started out <laughs> as an owner, very young. And so I didn't really have an internship and, and work my way up. Uh, but uh, I've, I've had those people, you know, with me. So it's like, I always like to see the journeys and, and, you know, there's a common thread a lot. And I'm sure even with yours, just, you know, relationships and how important they are to, uh, you know, to, to make sure they're, they're proper uh, for, for growth. But, um, you know, kind of start off with just kind of where you're from and, and, you know, how you got into sports, like, you know, was it in college and did you play? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I grew up in a small little podunk town in Michigan here, about 20 minutes from Lansing, called called Dansville, and um, I get dealt with a farm town that literally our our mascot was was the Aggies, which is a short agricultural because that's just all that was around it. I mean, I joke around with people. We literally had a corn stock growing in our football field at one point in time, and. and no, there's, there's no track at the, the field or anywhere at the facility. You had to go travel to a different school to practice like track and field and stuff. But um, went to Dansville and then had a chance to uh, end up going to Central Michigan, um, which is my alma mater for both my undergrad and graduate school. And um, had a great time at CMU, as I think most people do when they go to college and had a chance to really learn. And initially went to to get into journalism and wanted to be you know a sports writer on, on the media side. And you know, once I started kind of diving into sports more in depth at that level, I, I realized how much I enjoyed the the operational part and just kind of, you know, working in sports opposed to, to writing and covering it. Um, and that really kind of became my love. And it really happened for me my freshman year. And I'm, I'm one of those unique people that, you know, when I was young, identified what I wanted to do and never really lost track of that as I kind of went through college or had any major changes. I got my degree in sport management and um, dual management there uh, with a marketing degree. And um, kind of did a little bit of similar to you did. I never actually had an internship. Um, I actually started a company 
Uh, at the time, it would have been Central Michigan's Rivals.com site called Chippewa Country and was able to kind of, you know, get some inroads and create some connections through that and, and grow my career as a starting point and uh, really took off from there. But um, wanted to work in sports instead of writing about it. And at one point in time, I kind of wanted to get into coaching. And then I realized how much money you make coaching to start off with. And I was like, in I, baseball or what sport? Uh, actually, it was a football guy. Okay. You, uh, my my claim to fame at CMU a little bit. I was a I was a volunteer uh, for the CMU football program back in 2009. Which, you know, I always tell people there's you have your coaches, you have your assistants, you have like your interns and quality control. There's dirt, and then there was like me. <laughs> um, but I was there at the time when when Butch Jones was uh, the head coach, and then we had a couple of players. Antonio Brown was wide receiver there, and kind of our our glory days and, and uh, had a lot of fun being around that program and just seeing some of the dynamic personalities and where they've ended up at. So, Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So football, yeah, well, baseball. Little known fact for everyone here is uh, it would have been the year before that, but 2008, Central Michigan actually had Antonio Brown on offense. And actually, J.J. Watt was part of that team. Um, he was a tight end. And ended up transferring to Wisconsin. And I think that's one that they would have loved to keep at CMU, knowing what he's become now. Well, I was just at the Bucks final game, and Antonio Brown had two touchdowns and a heck of a game. <laughs> and he looks, yeah. like, he looks like he's having fun out there right now. So he is. He, you know, I had a chance to get to know him a little bit throughout uh, our time at CMU. And uh, I'll tell you, as an athlete, so explosive, one of those people that you, 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 it passes the hundred yard test, which I always tell people you can look at it from a hundred yards away and just go, that guy's a different level of athlete. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's cool to hear football. I, I kind of, same thing. I looked at, I, at one point, probably back in about 2002, 2003, I was considering uh, a coaching position in the AF2, which was like okay. Arena League Two. And, uh, you know, it was, 15, 20 grand a year. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I was, I got married young and had, had a kid young. So I was like, eh, it's just not, not, not going to be the route I went. So I ended up going the other route, getting the front office. So how well, did you, I remember Andrew, I, I was a, I want to say I was a sophomore or junior. We had to do like one of those sports interviews where they go and interview someone in sports. So I ended up getting connected to a guy who worked for the Grand Rapids Rampage, which was a, an arena football league. And I remember, Started off and goes basically. Do you, you go, did you did you play college football? I go no. He goes well. You're not going to have any future coaching. I'm like all right. Well, this is a dream killer. <laughs> so maybe that's where my dream for, for coaching ended up stopping was uh, due to the football. You don't have to bully me. Be yeah, nice. I like, yeah, I was like all right. Hey, just just help me to go a different direction. You know. Well, it's cool to see though now just on the coaching front. Like I noticed, so uh, the offensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts, Nick Sirianni. He went to Mount Union, which is a small D3 school, but like a powerhouse in football. He played for me in 2005. Wow. In indoor football. And so it's just kind of cool. That was his first year out of school. And then now he's the offensive coordinator. Matt Nagy up in Chicago is uh, a former arena football guy that is uh, head coach. But there's, it's kind of crazy to see that kind of, you know, guys that you work with back then kind of getting those spots. But anyway, off topic. Uh, <laughs> So how did you kind of transition from that media side and kind of, you know, being your own boss with, with the, the site to get into sports? 
Yeah, you know, it's uh, uh, I owe a lot of my my start to to a guy named Mike Dabbs, who at the time was was at CMU in the marketing department. You know, obviously spent a couple of years just around people in the program. I had a chance to to get to know people, and I remember I came to him one day and just said, "Hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to to take the next step and and find a way to to get involved in the athletic department." And you know, he took a shot on me and, and brought me on as a, a ticket sales consultant. I think at the time, which um, was almost completely based, but um, hired me without a single day of training. He goes, all right, we like this guy's personality. And, <laughs> you know, I stepped right in and uh, you know, became part of the, the ticket sales team there at, at Central Michigan. And then, you know, was part of the transition as we came into IMG College and, and that partnership with them. But um, I really kind of got my start. I had done some, some internships, uh, or not internships, but some other, like some lower level roles. Um, I worked at Mid-Michigan Community College, which was a local community college before that, that you know, had a cool opportunity to like bring sports back. They had no sports and they're like, all right, we're going to bring back, you know, men's and women's basketball and men's and women's soccer as a starting point for us to, to bring sports back to the fold and um, had a chance to be part of that. Um, maybe one of the worst sports teams we ever had. We had some amazing people. They, they busted their butts, but our women's soccer team um, had so many challenges, especially from a facility and practice standpoint. Uh, they had so many disadvantages and, and uh, you know, I think we got outscored like 202 to like three or something like that during the season and actually ended up becoming a pretty successful program, but um, they didn't have near as much practice time and, and a lot of preparation as they probably needed and deserved and um, had some growing pains for sure. But um, yeah, and I worked at a local, local high school doing uh, scheduling, helping out with the athletic director there and um, helped coach the eighth grade football team a little bit and weight room and recess and would substitute teach wherever they needed me and kind of get that foot in the door, you know, almost like minor league sports, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, all, all their duties is assigned. I found that early on, you know, and uh, yeah, it kind of went from there, but yeah, I started at CMU with, with Mike Dabbs and then um, spent some time working at the athletic department there and had a chance to dabble in some marketing and that kind of stuff and kind of decided I, um, had spent my enough time at, at Central Michigan and wanted to spread my wings a little bit. And um, ironically, it's one of the things that I tell a lot of kids now is, you know, the sport you're most passionate about. For me at the time, it was football. Well, I found out when you work in football, you don't get to enjoy it near as much as, as yeah. you do. You're gotta be at the you know, stadium at 5 a.m. and you leave after the game and you're just so tired and exhausted and you're just always working it. Um, so for me, baseball was a sport that I enjoyed, but I wasn't necessarily – um, as in, you know, invested as a fan and, you know, what really drew me to baseball too, on the minor league side was that perfect combination of, of entertainment and, uh, competition, you know, we're, we still want to win and lose, but no one's calling me after a game and going, Hey, you guys got beat 11 to nothing. You need to fire your coach. Like people aren't that invested. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I've had that happen. I've had that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're, when you get to the, the wins and losses that people are like really, really invested in. It's just like, yeah. hey, you know, like everyone needs to chill out for a second. Well, the whole goal is, you know, cell phone, you know. So when you got, you know, you kind of went from, you know, the media side, more information to the sales side. Yep. How was that transition for you? Oh, I mean, it was rough at first. You know, you're, you're as anyone knows, you, when you go from, you know, I don't want to say the glamorous side, but on the media side, you get catered to a little bit. And there's that right. elements in the sales side, not to say that it's not glamorous, but it's, it's, it's hard work, especially. Yeah. I, I tell people, they, 
probably why they hired me. I was probably the only person that would accept on at this time, but we're trying to sell football games in the Mac on like Tuesday nights in November. And it's like these Mac games, you're like, Hey, these are to sell right now to get out. And you know, Hey, your alternative option is you can watch on ESPN two and HD or something. So um, to this day, I still tell people that was the hardest sell I ever had was these midweek mashing games back in the central Michigan days. But um, they really forced me to, to challenge myself. I mean, I remember being a 22, 23 year old kid rolling into, you know, chamber of commerces and all these business meetings and, and cities and towns that I'd never been to. And, you know, printing off my map quest directions on paper and trying to figure out where. Come on, man. You're not that old. Come on. I am that old, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was just that technology, uh, not advanced, I guess, but um, yeah, it really just challenged me to grow and, and find, you know, that, that way uh, to, to drive success because, you know, when you're in sales and they say, Hey, you're, you are your own revenue. They, they mean it. You know, if you don't sell, you're not getting a paycheck. And, and that's kind of what it was there. And uh, you know, again, that really opened my eyes to the revenue generation portion of, of sports and said, Hey, if you want to grow and continue to advance your career and to have that stability, there's no better place to be than, than revenue generation. It's hard to get rid of people or hard to deny advance people that affect that bottom line. Yeah, no, I mean, and, you know, it's a lot of these smaller, you know, teams, even everyone's selling no yep. matter what, you know, uh, I just had someone on the show the other day. I can't remember uh, which team they were with, but it was like, yeah, I mean, the PR person, everybody had to hit something and, you know, it, it definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's probably the, the easiest way. To, to find your way into it because it's the most available jobs. Um, not that it's easy to get into, um, especially right now. Yeah, no I, mean, I just posted last week on LinkedIn, like, Hey, if you're looking for something in sports, post in the comments, I'll see if I can try to help connect. I was thinking I'd have like a dozen people <laughs> it's, uh, like over 2000 comments. Um, it's coming up on like 400,000 views in the week. I'm like, it's it's crazy. So there's a lot of really good people out there right now. There are. And that, that was a really cool thing. I, I had a chance to see that on your LinkedIn and just how that spread. And it's it's definitely a positive, but man, is it is it eye opening for yeah, exactly. Just how many people are are looking for opportunities and just what what COVID and the impact this has had on our industry. It's just been it's been tough to see a lot of really good people and, and we've had to make tough decisions here too. But um, it's been the hardest part about all of this, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially when people are losing positions due to no fault of their own. And, and at the same time, it's like, you, you can't really get mad at the organizations either. I mean, you know, the owners are taking a bath, you know, right now, it's just not, not good. So hopefully it's, it's, uh, you know, it looks like it's, it's heading in the right direction. So, um, but I want to go back to like, you know, your first, you know, job outside of college, I mean, you moved away too. I mean, so that's kind of, I mean, that's a little scary, right? Your first time, or were you all about ready to just like, you think you outgrown the town and now you're ready to go? I, you know, I was, you know, I think for me, it was the chance to travel and explore some new places. You know, I think I look back to it now and, and it's one of the things that I tell students, Hey, you gotta be willing to, to move anywhere and explore any opportunity. And it's not always the most glamorous, uh, but I had a chance and I, and I kid you not, my first title outside of CMU was, was director of fun. And 
Um, had a chance to work for a guy who was a great mentor for me, um, Jesse Cole, who a lot of people know now works for the Savannah Bananas and is their owner down there and the yellow tuxedo and, and uh, you know, came down for an interview and him and I just, just, you know, meshed right off the bat and said, hey, let's just bring this energy and how we can bring fun and change, change the sport of baseball. And, you know, director of fun was a great title to, to get your foot in the door. It was definitely a conversation starter. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget Jesse Cole, my interview. I, I kid you not. Um, brings me down, says we're going to go out to dinner. And uh, he picks me up and we go out to eat. And he, he unknowingly or unknowingly to him brought me to a young professional networking event um, on my job interview. And we <laughs> wanted to see how you were going to yeah, we walk in and he literally just left me. He goes, all right, I'll catch up in like an hour. And I just went and sat down at the table and met some people and networked. And, uh, you know, he left me kind of to do my own thing. And he was part of the group and he joked around. I don't think he's ever done that since then. It just happened to work out, but he wanted to see how I, I mixed around with people and, to this day, I still think I'm on the, the Gaston County JC's email newsletter um, that they send out for <laughs> my personal email. But I um, had a chance to work with, with Jesse and uh, a guy named Jeremy Bowler, who was another great mentor of mine uh, with the Forest City Owls. Um, I lived in Shelby, North Carolina, which, you know, when you see your photo, don't know where it's at. It's mostly known for the home of Kenny Powers um, from the East Town in town. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, most people, you see your your friends, they go live in Chicago or Los Angeles, and I'm here in Shelby, North Carolina. Which if you want to go get a beer, you go to Applebee's at the time and, and things like that. It was not the most glamorous place, but, man, it really opened my eyes to that that small town community and how important these these smaller cities and towns view, you know, minor league sports to the fabric of what they do. Um, and was there for a year and had a chance to then go to, to Martinsville, Virginia, um, to be the GM for a team with the Martinsville Mustangs and again, work with Jesse and, uh, went on to, to Johnson city, Tennessee with the, uh, John city Cardinals, which was the St. Louis Cardinals affiliate at the time. And then finally back here to, to Lansing. So how, uh, Martinsville was that uh collegiate wooden bat as well? Correct. Yeah. That was a summer collegiate team in, in the coastal plain league. And again, another, another place. I, I don't think I would be where I'm at today or have, the, the background and experience and just the, the mindset without that year in Martinsville, um, you know, love the community and love the people there. Very, very challenging. Um, I think when I was there, the unemployment rate was right around 17, 18%. Wow. Just had been crippled, a lot of brain drain um, stadium needed a lot of work. Um, it was a, it was a tough facility, but we made the most of it. And some of my, some of my favorite times in sports were, are looking back to, to Martinsville. And, and, you know, this is a guy who's, you know, started at startup teams. We had, I think three people that were involved in that. I was the only employee that was there all the time. We had like four other interns and like, we just, we made it work and found a way and uh, had a lot of fun. And uh, it was a, it was a, it was a unique year for sure. What kind of differences were there from going from, you know, the, the collegiate to like the affiliated with the Johnson city? You know, I think probably the, the biggest piece is you, you start, you know, once you get to that professional rank and these guys are, are paid and under contract and with professional teams, you know, there's so much more, you know, care given to the players and what they do and their innings and what they're eating and travel and lodging and, you know, it becomes much more about the business side of things as opposed to just the opportunity to play and kind of you know, have a home during the summer. Um, definitely on the, on the player side. And then of course you just, you're dealing with a, a higher level, um, 
league and administration. Um, you know, you're, you're talking directly to like the St. Louis Cardinals now instead of, you know, a league commissioner or some college coaches and recruiting coordinators and uh, just different levels there. But uh, really on the on the player side was probably the area I'd say the biggest difference was. On the business side, pretty similar as far as, you know, promotional nights and, uh, you know, just partnership sales, ticket sales, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, you're, you know, that level right there, you're very similar facilities. I mean, you know, a lot of the, a lot of like summer collegiate teams in the coastal family were, were old, you know, Appalachian League or old Meyer Lake stadiums that, you know, teams left or went to a different market. So you've got, you've got a similar footprint, similar history there. And you probably have a similar demographic in the town and city and, and population size. I mean, the only difference really you're going to have there is going to be, you know, these guys are getting paid under contract and our, our prospects for a major league team. And these guys are, you know, collegiate prospects right now who are, you know, one, one step below that rung right now and kind of developing. So, uh, which is the Appy League now is actually going to be a summer collegiate with bat league um, in a partnership with major league baseball. Yeah. I saw that. I, it's, I've really noticed a lot of um, collegiate teams kind of popping up or even independent pro teams converting to collegiate teams over the last few years. So um Something I started looking into just because I was like, it, it's kind of an interesting business model. Um, it is, man. Summer, summer collegiate baseball is it's. It, I don't want to say it has a, a you know a lack of respect sometimes from from people in professional baseball, but uh, I I cut my teeth there, and we we, did, we put together a, a pseudo summer collegiate league here this past summer in 2020 when, when the minor league season was canceled, and I. I still think it's a lot of fun. I still think it's very, very marketable. And I think you're going to have a great, you know, level of prospects coming through and, um, you know, the economics of it can definitely, definitely work. You know, I think, um, it's a, it's a fun lead to kind of mess around and try some things out. And, um, it really, it comes down to the operators and your ability to market and kind of connect with the community. And, you know, I think obviously, you know, Jesse and his team now in Savannah have proven that, a summer collegiate team can make just as much noise uh, as an independent or professional team. Yeah, no, I think I think he's done a good job down there. There's a, there's a couple teams in that league that really um, do a good job. When, when you went from you know Martinsville to Johnson City, kind of same role GM. Did you have different responsibilities? Like with Johnson City, did you have more staff, or was it all kind of still this pretty similar where you were doing a lot of the everything my, yeah my, my first year in john city I, I doubled my staff from what i had in martinsville which i went from one to two so, <laughs> so i made it mom i made it i got to pass off some had uh a chance to hire a guy there um you know one of the the best people i've ever worked with and one of my best friends a guy named zach clark who's now the gm down there in johnson city and um, you know, it's very rare to get a chance to hire a guy that that not only is someone you know already before, but is a friend, and you kind of get a chance to you know, redevelop and bring a team back to life together and, and have some fun with it. And you always look back to those days in Johnson City when you just kind of tag teamed it and you know brought this team back from the dead a little bit and ended up getting some facility renovations and putting that market um, back on the map as a minor league city. So um, still wore all a lot of different hats. I mean, yeah, there's there's times where you're gonna do a little bit of everything from cleaning a grill to, you know, soaking up the field. I mean, I remember times having, you know, old couch cushions and trying to soak up water on the field so we could play a game and, um, you know, fixing cracks. Uh, I told my wife the other day, I, I learned how to sew when I was in Johnson City because I had to fix pants once in a while, but I didn't want to go hire and spend the money on the seamstress to go fix these. So, 
uh, a little bit of everything, as, as you know, you, you wear all, all the different hats and you never know what a uh, surprise you're going to get any given day. How did the Lansing position come about? Did you, was that just something that was posted and you applied or was that through, you know, your network? It was kind of through a headhunter, I guess, in the sense that, uh, you know, I, I had been talked to a guy named Nick Greaser, who, who was the, the GM and president here for a number of years and another great mentor of mine. We, we talked before and kind of been like, I, you know, hey, I don't really want to come back to the hometown. I, I came down south. I enjoy it down here. And, you know, appreciate any opportunities or interest. But I'm, you know, Eve Johnson City. I want it to be a place that, you know, I still have the same quality of life and the things that I enjoy, which, you know, was not as much snow and the mountains and outdoor recreation opportunities. So uh, we actually met, um, we were at the the promo seminar at the time in Greenville, um, South Carolina, and just started talking. And really he was, he was headhunting, trying to find somebody and was asking me if I knew anybody. And, and we were sitting there in a room, he goes, how about you? What do we got to do to make this happen? And, you know, we just started talking and I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll come back into the stadium and just take a look at it and we'll talk. And, you know, worst case scenario for me, I get a home cooked meal from grandma and I go back down south. And you know, really for me, it was a chance to, to see how much development had happened here in Lansing and, you know, reconnect with some family that, you know, I spent you know, almost a decade away from, you know, thousands of miles away. And um, it just it just felt right. And, you know, I think when you have an opportunity to, to take over the minor league team in your hometown, it's just it's just such a cool thing. And. Uh, to say I grew up on the 517 and now I get to, to be the GM of the Lansing Lugnuts, I mean, it'd be maybe dumb to pass that opportunity out. But I've been very, very fortunate. Um, had a chance to meet my wife when I came back into, back to Lansing here. And um, it, it just all worked out and it was, it was the right decision at the time. In a world where people are more aware and plugged in than ever, it's not enough to just have a great product. Consumers are looking for brands they can relate to. That's where Egghead Creative comes in. Everything they do is powered by deepening the connection with your brand. And every time you do business with them, they'll build a bespoke team of highly specialized creatives designed specifically around what you need. For more information, visit eggheadcreativestudio.com. That's E-G-G-H-E-A-D creativestudio.com. Or follow them on Instagram at eggheadcreativestudio. Now back to the show. I always joke, this is a, this is a true story. I told him I needed a week to think about it. I was on at the time I was on a backpacking trip in, in uh, Colorado with a buddy. And I said, if I, I told him we were driving around and camping and hiking that if I right, I'll, I'll, I'll get the time was hiking in Aspen, Colorado in the Maroon Bells out in the middle of nowhere, probably saw five people. And I bumped into a guy with a Michigan state shirt and a Lansing lug nuts hat. No way. And I go, he, he was a, uh, um, he was a Michigan State fan, and he goes, my son just came to school here, but I can't support everything Michigan State. I had to buy something else from the hometown there and had a lug nuts hat. And I'm like, what are the chances, right? Um, so that was kind of my like, itch in the face kind of sign. That's pretty cool. When you were a kid, did you – was like Lansing lug nuts your team, or what's the history of the team? <laughs> yeah, it was. I uh, – you know, I went my first my first baseball game was a game. And I remember uh, I told Tom, our owner, this story when when they brought me in here. Uh, my dad told me he was taking me to a baseball game, and I had it in my head, I'm like, we're going to the Tigers. We're going to a Tigers game. <laughs> we're here to Lansing, and I was like, this is not the Tigers. What is going on? Like I'm like upset. I'm like, this is not the Detroit Tigers. And I was pouting the entire time. We walked in the gates. Now just being a brat, you know, and. 
Uh, once the game started and you kind of felt the energy, I, I had no idea I was at a, a Lugnuts game and not at a Detroit Tigers game. And it was uh, my first experience in a, in a minor league stadium and, and grew up a Lugnuts fan and, and uh, couldn't tell you anything about any of the players I ever saw here. I just know I had a great time every time I came. And, and that's, that's the whole key. I mean, that's yep. what I love about the business is you just create those memories too. And now you have those memories from, you know, your, your childhood and, uh, spending time with family. And, uh, I, I, I used to, my family was really big about sporting events as a kid. So my mom is a huge baseball fan. So like, you know, she would take me a lot to like Phillies games. Cause I grew up in uh, Pennsylvania and, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, those are some of the best times, you know, I remember it's just sporting events. Well, it's, it's such a such a part of your upbringing and, and part of that community feel. And, and um, it, you always look back and it's amazing the memories you you can think of as a kid that you that you remember. And a lot of times it is, it's your sporting events or going to, going to an event, whether that's, you know, at a baseball stadium or a football stadium or, you know, it's a some sort of festival or carnival. You remember those moments where you're, you know, out there doing something fun with a group of people. And, you know, I think it's one of those things that we really took for granted and you can't have it this year in 2020. It's like, man, we lose those opportunities to bring communities together and bring people together for, you know, kind of a common, you know, common thing to root for. Yeah, no, it's, it definitely is taking a hit. And, but I think it's cool what, you know, we're able to do now think about it you have those memories. Now you're helping create thousands of memories a year, you know, thousands and thousands. So, um, you know, it's just, it's a rewarding side of the business, I think. Um, but how hard was it this off season, um, you know, with COVID, I know, um, for me in Virginia, it was, uh, the staff is all pretty young there. So, um, they, they were worried and, you know, everybody, they didn't know what was going on. So just from, you know, the, the business side, you know, worrying about staff and, you know, I know that a lot, a lot of people got cut there. Um, and then just trying to figure out, you know, how to salvage, you know, something, cause you know, you're talking about millions of dollars that are either needing to be refunded or rolled over and, um, it makes it tough for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, you know, 2020 was what a roller coaster, as I tell people. You get up these as highs and lows, and you're kind of, you know, trying to figure things out and um, definitely challenge. I think if, if there's one thing I learned in kind of a managerial role this year is that I don't know is an acceptable answer sometimes. And, you know, I think this year more than ever, you know, our staff and people around you and ticket holders and, you know, sponsors and, uh, you know, the community and the cities. They all want to know when when you're going to play and what's going to happen and, and what's your capacity going to be and how are you going to handle these things and sometimes you, you just don't know and that's kind of how it was this entire year and it was it was really different state by state you know I think it was probably one of our challenges we had here in Michigan was you know we're watching you know teams and organizations in in Texas or Iowa or Wisconsin that are able to to do things and bring their communities together in a safe way because of the restrictions they have and it's not right or wrong either way. It's just, you know, some places had more opportunities to do some things opposed to other places. And, you know, people naturally want to compare, well, Hey, why can't we do this? If they're doing that right. groups want to say, Hey, well, they're, they brought a thousand people. Why can't we do that here? And, and 
you know, the important thing for us was to be, hey, we're, we're going to go with the most relevant information we have. We're going to talk to the people that are making these decisions and we're going to, you know, do the most we possibly can. Um, we were always kind of prepared here for a plan B. You know, I think that's just natural as an administrator. Hey, we, you know, we may start a minor league season, but what if we don't? And we really started talking about a plan B and how we how we can pivot. I know that's the key word in 2020, but, um, you know, really sometime in probably early May, late April and said, hey, if we if we don't actually have a minor league season, what are we going to do? Because we we still owe it to the community here to, to do something in the stadium, and to use it as an asset. So that's where we kind of came up with the idea of the Lemonade League, which was, hey, when, when baseball gives you lemons, make lemonade. And, and we started our own, you know, self-contained summer collegiate league. We played 20 games here. Our capacity was only 100 people. Um, sold out every game, which is what I'm going to tell people. <laughs> sold out. That's the, that's the only uh, thing people need 20, to know. 20-game sellout streak. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it allowed us to really, um, you know, when you start up your own league and your own team, as, as you know, you get a chance to, to – play with the rules a little bit. So we're like, yeah. we're going to play with a yellow baseball. We're going to, we're going to do seven innings. We're not going to do any, any extra innings. We're going to go straight to a home run derby. And we, you know, there's games where we get down to like the fifth thing. We're like, you know what? We're going to make up a rule today right now. We're going to we'll talk to both coaches and we just do it. And we really wanted to, to press the boundaries and to, to change, you know, how baseball maybe was viewed a little bit, but we wanted to make sure we put a product out there that was different than what Lancey lug nuts were. And exactly. There was no really apples to apples or, or lemon to lemon comparison on that and uh, had a lot of fun with it. We did over over 18 movie nights here. We did a couple private events and we, you know, we rode this roller coaster. Our capacity in the summer never could go over 100. In the fall, we got a chance to go up to like 1,000. We had we played a Lemonade League Fall Classic game here, which is like the only cold day in October. It was like 30 degrees and we had like 500 people here. And we did a movie night on Wednesday. Um, I don't want to say it was the worst event I've ever done, but it was definitely top two. We had like seven people here to watch Mean Girls, which is like <laughs> things you can't make up. But um, we were able to do a free flu shot clinic with our partners at Meyer here. And we, we just wanted to make sure, hey, when when this hit and the pandemic came in and everyone was in dire straits and ourselves included. But, hey, you know, we've, we've built our reputation on, on being a, an economic driver in downtown Lansing here at Let's do whatever we possibly can, not only for the community, but for our survival. You know, if we can generate some money, we can keep some more people here. We can generate some revenue and, and do some things that, you know, help set us up better for, for 2020, um, 2021 and beyond. And, um, you know, I, I had a saying out there, you know, 2020 was survival, the most creative. You know, it was the people that were willing to get outside the box and go, hey, this is how we can do it, not how the challenges are going to stop us from doing that. How so in your role now, how is it structured? Like what's your focus day to day? I, I take it that you know you have much larger staff probably with this organization than than prior. Um, maybe double or triple, or maybe even a lot more. <laughs> um, but so how has that changed and and that adjustment for you? Because then it just becomes like you have to, you know, really hone in your leadership skills when you start adding that that kind of staff. Yeah, you know, we in a normal year here in Lansing, we're between usually 25 and 30 full-time staff. We're we're nowhere near that right now, unfortunately, due to the pandemic. You know, we we've had to make changes and have people take on multiple roles. And you know, right now we're all kind of in that, hey, let's how can we spread out our our duties and and you know really plug these holes in, in the boat until we can get back to 
to close to fully operate. I, I don't know when we'll ever get back to that level of staffing. Um, again, you know, we're going to all have to kind of adjust as we kind of, you know, our, our business changes and grows, but you know, right now it's, it's prioritizing, you know, four or five things. And then really the juggling act of, of filling holes where we need to, I mean, we, we're in the process of, of hiring a, a, you know, kind of a social media fan engagement person right before the pandemic hit. We ended up not filling that role. I, I spend way more time posting on our social media now than I expected I was going to have to, but it's an area where you, you want to step up and, and kind of fill in that gap. And, um, you know, from our marketing efforts, and we've all had to cook hot dogs again this year and, you know, just get back to the, the- it takes, it's got a little fun every now and then, you know, take you back to those younger, younger years when you had to do everything. Oh yeah. You know, you get, you know, you, you go up and you get some experience and you kind of know what to expect. Our, our entire staff here has done an amazing job of adapting and, and not complaining and taking on multiple duties and finding ways to, to make things happen. And I think that's the, the, the biggest strength any team can have is, Hey, how can we build a team of, of Swiss army knives that, you know, if something like this does hit, we don't have people that are strategically, you know, focused on one thing because, you know, we're going to have to evolve and figure out how to divide these pies up. We're not going to be able to have a full-time spot for all these places. And um, our staff done an amazing job at that. It's, it's been a challenging year to kind of be a leader when you're, you know, you're, you can't have these giant staff meetings with all these people in the same room, these rah-rahs and, um, you have as many as interpersonal conversations where you're talking to a person in the room and you're giving high fives and that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, this year you're just, you're delivering a lot of bad news. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's hard to be a, a, you know, a favorite of anything right now when you're, you're constantly, Hey, yeah, we can't do this or we can't do that. And the season's canceled. And, um, the important thing again is to, to stay optimistic and find ways to be creative and engage everybody. So we're, you know, we're moving forward with, whatever capacity we have the ability to do so. I know it's a cheesy cliche, like leadership answer, but it really, I mean, it really is. No, but I mean, you know, and I think now too, it's, it's a, it's a great time for teams to really start looking at um, content creation and kind of getting creative and getting outside of, um, you know, the norm of what teams have been doing. I mean, with technology, like what we're doing and, you know, all the, the new tech stuff. I mean, there's so many opportunities for teams to kind of, you know, engage fans now without being in the ballpark, you know, 70 days. And um, so hopefully teams start getting that. And, you know, social media and digital is is such a great way to engage and, and continue to, to brand yourself. You're, you're dead on. And you, you know this working in minor league baseball. We have not done a good enough job of that. We have been so focused on, hey, we're the – we're the market where you come out to the stadium and have a great time and we do some crazy things. And like all of a sudden, and we can't have fans in the stands. We were not near as prepared as some other industries were to, to handle that. And it's really, you know, challenged us to find these, these digital alternatives and ways we can add value to our, our fans experience without actually having to be physically inside the stadium. Here. Yeah. It's so many different challenges. And then the other challenge, which is crazy is just the whole, MILB MLB situation. Yeah. I mean, so like, I know that was like a big unknown for a while and then the shuffling around and how did you guys make out in that process? Are you uh, same affiliate or and, so and same level? Yeah. Great question. Yeah. If we, if we needed more curveballs, pun intended for <laughs> this year, say we're going through a pandemic and also a reorganization of our entire structure. And, and yeah, it was, that was tumultuous. I, I would say that was almost as as stressful as 
the pandemic because you know we knew there was this cloud over everybody that hey they're, they're going to cut some teams we're going to lose some teams from minor league baseball and you know we always felt like we were in a great spot here in lansing both geographically and you know just with our facility and the way we've ran that we we were going to be in a good spot but you just you just never know i mean you never know until you start seeing things so um we're in the process right now as i think you know was where we've all received an invite letter and says hey you know, we're inviting you to be part of uh, so-and-so affiliation and this level. And for us, you know, we did get a curveball thrown there. We were a Toronto Blue Jays affiliate for, for 15 years here. Um, we are now an Oakland A's affiliate um, pending this invite letter we have right now. And um, we're just kind of reviewing it like the other 120 teams are to, to kind of see what, what the options are, if this is the best deal for us. And this makes sense for Lansing moving forward. I, I think it probably will. And we're excited to be with the Oakland A's, but um what a, what a weird twist, but I'm, I'm just happy to have that part of it kind of settled a little bit. Um, but I feel for the teams that were cut and the communities that lost baseball and you know, the way some of the stuff went down where, you know, they're, they're finding out via social media that they're, they're not affiliated anymore. And, um, it's, it's always tough. And especially for me, obviously, you know, growing up and with the John city Cardinals there and it's a big part of my career and seeing that, go away and and uh you know i feel for those communities but it's all part of the the transition right now and, and uh hopefully greener years ahead here in 2021 and beyond yeah definitely tough decisions being made and um you know it's it's tough because i i see both sides you know it's like you see the business side of it and and you know how can it be more efficient and um you know especially when you know teams are it's more of a challenge now than ever to put butts in seats at every level i mean yep. just, you know this is the biggest probably competition you know people can just go on their phone and do just about anything they want um well so getting getting creative and just you know kind of tightening things up um i think probably on the long long run will will be helpful it's it sucks now and you know, it's just, it's more people too that, you know, are out of jobs that, uh, you know, might've, might've still been in that mix with, with COVID. So hopefully, you know, I've, I've started seeing teams post job. So it's like slowly people are kind of starting to, you know, backfill those, some of those spots. So have you guys been at a point where um, you guys are like selling or are you guys just more or less just, doing community types, you know, marketing and, and trying to stay relevant until, you know, schedules out and things like that. We are, we're, we're actively selling right now, but it's in a, it's a very, you know, cautious way, you know, we're reaching out to people and say, Hey, we, we don't have a schedule yet. Um, we know, we know we're going to be a high athlete of the Oakland A's in all likelihood. And, you know, this is when we think our season's probably going to start and we're kind of taking deposits, fully refundable deposits of like a hundred dollars right now to say, Hey, basically when, when things, get in place and we have the finalized decisions to move forward our 2021 season, you're, you're going to have the first priority for your venues or your seats, because, you know, we are expecting some variation of capacity restrictions or something in place that, you know, we're, we're not going to come back at normal. You know, I think we're all crazy to think that even that we're, we're going to come back to uh, yeah, it's a different capacity unless we're in Texas, I think. Um, <laughs> Florida, we don't care down here. We, yeah, I mean, Florida. Hell, that's, um, we're nuts around here. <laughs> And yeah, it's we're we're selling. We're obviously having discussions with partners right now about 
you know, ways to, to change values and what we can find that's a better fit for them and, and to make their, you know, needs met for their packages and talking to new partners as well that, that might come on on board here moving forward, just knowing that we're going to have some some different, you know, stages here to start off with than we kind of have been uh, with minor league baseball and, and venues and, you know, filling your stadiums before. But, um, yeah, I think we have to we have to be communicating to people. And that's one thing we, we've always prided ourselves here in Lansing is, hey, we're going to reach out to every ticket holder and every sponsor, everybody and communicate with them, you know, every couple of weeks just to make sure, hey, even if we have no update, here's what we know now. And that way they're not caught off guard when they see something or something pops up because we all know now everything breaks via social media and no one ever knows the heads up anymore. So Yeah, yeah no, we didn't get the memo yet. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's almost here, almost here. So what's what are some of the biggest things that you look for when you are looking to bring people in to your staff? Like, you know, is there like key characteristics that are top priority for you? And I know with different positions, there's probably different um, things. But just overall, like, you know, for the the young people that are out there watching, like, you know, what kind of stuff do you look for? Yeah, I think the two biggest things for us here really are um, outside the box thinking. You know, I want people that are always constantly challenging the norm. Hey, we, we've we done this for this way for this number of years, but that's that's not that's good enough all the time. That doesn't mean we right. can't do something differently. And people that are willing to to constantly bring ideas and this is how we, sh- we should do it or this we should try this idea and, you know, really thinking outside the box. You know, I think it's, it's, it's different for people to say, hey, I, I have a thought or I want to tweet something and say, hey, here's an idea I have and here's how it's formulated and here's how it can be executed. I think that's a whole separate skill set. So we want people that, you know, have uh, a, you know, a wide imagination. And that's the one perk in minor league baseball. We can, we can try almost anything here and not make the headlines. <laughs> well, you do, you do make the headlines. Yeah, the headline, yeah not, not kind of weird. I mean, there's definitely been some examples out there, I think, but you know, it's the fun, it's the promotions, or, hey, we want to try selling it this way. I mean, we were we were one of the first teams and had a staff member here who pushed the, the ballpark pass idea. We were the first minor league team that did, like, the monthly subscription and, like, be willing to, to step outside the box and try some things. We've done, you know, all you can eat tickets here. And I think it's just constantly trying and pushing things and, and thinking outside the box. And the other thing I think is, you know, we touched on this earlier, and um, you might agree with this, is just a sense of entitlement that, that goes away. I mean, you're going to have some days here where you're going to do something that you really don't want to do. And it's not always going to be, Hey, this is what I signed up for. That was on my you know job description. You know, there's going to be some times we want people to step up and do some things. And that happens from the top level down. I mean, yep. even in my role here in Lansing, I've scrubbed toilets and like, I've literally, I've power washed things that I you know don't want to talk about on camera. And it's, like, <laughs> it's not always the most glamorous, but you have to be all Get in. It done. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's important. Um, you kind of mentioned it. So talk to me about some some of your top promos that you've you've had, like, you know, maybe like from, you know, the strangest, funniest to, you know, most successful. Man, strangest, strangest one and probably the, the funniest one. This is one I, I still can't believe my owner gave us permission to do. And it's probably one of the probably one of my favorite stories of all time. It would have been 2019, I think. Here. We did a purge night. And it was a random Thursday in, in April. And the promotion basically was at some random time during the game for an entire half inning, we're going to sound off the purge siren, like from the movies, and all concessions are going to be free for the next half inning. And uh, we're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to give this a whirl. And then, you know, again, it was on a thirsty Thursday in April, not normally one of our hot selling days. 
freezing cold that day, but we had a ton of college students that showed up and uh, had a pretty big crowd here. Um, luckily, it wasn't a lot bigger because we found out some, some strategic problems we had. But uh, come to find out, some of our concessions people, you know, not any fault of their own, had kind of tipped off people. So they started lining it up. So we, we changed it up in the script, right? We're going to do it in the you know bottom of the sixth, I think. And Andrew, I kid you not, we played the longest half inning ever. We had a, we had a grand slam in the thing. It was like 35, 40 minutes, and it just we just got hammered. But it created a lot of fun publicity. I remember we had a live news shot here, and they're talking about the purge night during the national anthem as it's going on in the background, which you can just like it just played into the field. <laughs> um, had a lot of fun. A lot of teams reached out and asked us how it was. I said it was great. You guys should try it. Just because I wanted to see someone else do it, honestly. <laughs> my my concession manager here, he would uh, he would probably murder me if we did that one again. Uh, we got a lot of fanfare. We won a, a golden bobblehead here with one of my one of my babies. Just one of my favorite promotions of all time was our our backyard baseball night where we did the the Pablo Sanchez bobblehead and the team vote and changed our team to the mighty Wombats and um, had a huge crowd here for that. And, you know, one of the most successful bobbleheads that, that we've ever done, maybe in my life baseball, I, I think with barstool sports, it still sits in their fish tank that they have for their, their live show. And, and I, I've been seeing these things get sold on eBay and everything for like 200 bucks. And much That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, had a lot of fun with that. When we did a tribute to Burt Reynolds night last year, going back to my time in Johnson city, we, we did an Oregon trail night where we, we buried gold in the infield, let fans come down and dig for like a, a diamond. But I forgot where I buried the gold and like it was so hard. It took these people like an hour to dig it out and like all his fingers and stuff. And um so how how often though just so people know out there do you you're like damn this is this is one of the best ideas and it's like a total bust i mean because it it has to have i mean all the promos that baseball teams do it's like the ones that you think sometimes aren't you know it could go either way they you know shock you i say it's you know when you when we get a really good one you know if you have a really good gut feeling, obviously, you know, one of the advantages I think I have in my role as being a GM is you can kind of stack the deck in your favor a little bit too. you know, Hey, like, Hey, we're going to do this promotion, but we're going to, you know, I can look back and go, hey, historically, this is a pretty darn good day for us. Like you, you can, you right. can be in the best position to succeed. You know, we've, we've only had some, some thinkers here for sure. And I think going back to my time before Lansing here and, you have a little bit less risk because you're not in these, you know, larger venues and you're not putting as much money behind the promotion. I mean, uh, I've, I've had some, some bombs. I think probably the worst one I've ever done. I did a grow your own furniture night when I was in Martinsville and we were, we were sponsored by a, a furniture company. We're like, we're going to give away trees to people and do this environmentally friendly and this whole pun, like grow your own furniture down the line. Nobody got it. People didn't do trees. <laughs> like, uh, it was just a disaster. Like, I mean, but. but what other job could you like just come up with crazy stuff like that and like put it out there? I mean, that's that's why I love minor league baseball being in other sports like soccer, hockey, arena football. You would do promos, but not to the extent yep. creativity that baseball does. I mean, baseball, just minor league baseball is just it's pretty cool for that. I love it. It is. And it, it's it's. It's taken off too. I mean, I remember a time early in my career where 
crazy promos and, and all that kind of stuff was really relegated to minor league baseball. And it was kind of, I don't want to say it was looked down upon, but it was kind of scoffed at at the college or professional ranks. And it was kind of like, Hey, Anymore. <laughs> we don't need to do that kind of stuff here. We're, we're going to go do this and do our thing. And then, you know, it's changed in the last three or four years. And I've had, you know, more people reach out. And obviously part of that is the challenge of being butts and seats, but I think people are going, Hey, the promotions and the crazy stuff that can add to the experience for people coming to the facility. And, you know, what these guys have been doing in minor league baseball for 20, 25 years, even beyond that, like this is transferable. And you start seeing colleges do some fun stuff and NFL and NBA. And, you know, I think back to the Atlanta Hawks doing a, a swipe right night and like, yeah, <laughs> you never would have saw an NBA team try something like that. That would have been totally frowned upon. And I think right. I mean, baseball and, and really pioneered some of those early crazy ideas going back to, to Bill Vack and, hey, let, like, let's push the envelope a little bit and see what kind of headlines we can make because you know, we're not going to compete with some of these other bigger entities. Yeah, no, it's it's true, but it's it is good to see the other ones kind of getting more creative in that. And again, I, I think it goes back to just – teams have to be creative to get fans, even at the major league level. And, you know, especially if you're not in the top, you know, 10% of the leagues, uh, you know, it's definitely a challenge. So what about, what about you? I'm going to flip that. What's, what's yeah. the, what's the craziest one you've been a part of? Uh, promotion had a team owned a team for one year, sold it. Canton Cougars. Okay. Arena football, Canton, Ohio. Uh, we did Cougar night. So anyone, I don't know if it was like anyone over any women over 40 uh, and free. And I mean, it's not like we, you know, had thousands and thousands, but we had women like come up to the box office proudly showing how old they were all makeup up, dolled up. It was, it was funny. And so it was just something a little different. Uh, But yeah, we played a, uh, that same year we played a team from Saginaw which is okay. from you guys. And they were the number one team. I think they won the championship that year. We were the last place team. We didn't win at all. And I guaranteed a win. And um, we ended up winning in the last like seconds of the game. And I remember cleaning their locker room, you know, kind of going through it after the night. And they had all the like news articles like posted up. Cause I just was trash talking like constantly just to, I, we didn't win a game. We sucked. Yeah. I was like, what, what can I do to get fans to at least come out? So. But, that was like your, uh, your Flint Tropics mega bowl. Wow. Yeah. The, uh, one of my favorite movies, by the way. And uh, my team that I started in Florida soccer team, I called them the Tropics. The Tropics. That's awesome. And then I did a, you know, an updated logo from, you know, basically with that, from that, concept and uh i matched their uniform so their basketball uniforms had like a little thing yeah. so we did that on our soccer uniforms that's awesome yeah i mean i we we always still joke around about the, the corn dog scene i think in that <laughs> <laughs> corn dogs Jackie, corn dogs yeah no tyler man thanks for joining me man it was fun chatting with you um yeah, i'm gonna try to get up there sometime too i'd like to check out the ballpark it looks pretty sweet uh, just with, you know, kind of the city around it and, you know, those apartments. So uh, happy to have you here anytime. And Andrew, I uh, appreciate the chance to come on and, and talk some sports and background and um, big fan of the show and everything you're doing. And uh, 
you know, keep doing, uh, keep doing what you're doing right now. You're, you're helping a lot of people get their name out there. And a lot of people right now to get some exposure with, you know, their job status and, and trying to find the, the next fit for their career, because um, we have taken some punches here in the sports industry and we need more people doing what you're doing. Now, so, yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Hey, podcast fans, thanks for listening to today's episode of The Andrew Haynes Show. If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out to Andrew on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.